Good to see everybody this morning. We'll continue our Advent series. We're week two here. And our Advent series is really about one thing, and that's to make sure that God stays central. God stays celebrated in the midst of all our celebrating. Because it's kind of hard sometimes, or it's easy, I would say, for us to not celebrate God even during Christmas. We've got kind of the cultural Christmas and all we do, right? The tree and the trimmings and the fruitcake and the, all that stuff. And Advent's not really against all that. Do all that. Totally cool with that. But in the midst of it, I mean, the church is always going to fight for, let's make sure in the midst of all that stuff we're doing, that, that God gets celebrated. Because he very easily rides in the background. It's like, yeah, yeah, Jesus, we know. But let's get on with all the other stuff. So we're against that. Not against the other stuff, but trying to help you keep him central. So the way we're doing that, we're going to the first Advent story, and we're finding things about God, attributes of God that are celebratable. And I don't even think that's a word, nor do I really care. It's just celebratable. So what we found out, because we want to give you something to grab hold of, of God and walk out there and keep him central. So last week, Luke 1, this is what we found out about God from Mary and Zechariah, that he is promise-keeping, mighty, gracious, justice-loving Savior. Pick one. Pick one. Or, I, I left it this way, what's Write your own. Those were, that was a song they sang about him. Write your own. No, you don't have to take my word for it. Like, don't come here like, I must celebrate God this way. Don't, whatever, pick it. Nobody knows how God has been good to you better than you. Pick that and celebrate that. So hopefully you did that. Wrote your own. Anybody write a praise song to Jesus last week? Like, this is so weird. Well, that's what we asked you to do. All right, so that was that part today. Um, just another story, another attribute about God. The story is the wise men, the visit from the Magi, so probably very familiar. And the attribute that's going to rise out of that, that's revealed in that, is that God is worthy. He's worthy of putting him at, at being at the center of our celebration. Now, without a doubt, there are lots of reasons why we have this story. And that's what you should always do. Anytime you read any part of the Bible, you have to ask, I mean, why did God put it in there? Why do we have it? What does he want us to know? And for every commentary you read about the three wise men, not three, just the wise men. That came, comes from outside the Bible, probably. But everything you read about them, every commentary about them, it's gonna, there's, they're going to tell you there's a different main point, this point and that. There's lots of main points about why we have this story. And they're probably all legitimate. But without a doubt, one of the reasons that we have this story is God wants us to know that he's worthy of everything that we would give him. And you're going to see a couple of guys who, if, we're, if we look at these wise men, God's worth is alive in them. It's, you can see that God's worth is really high, and it gives us a picture to look at, and we'll find out the reasons why. So I'm actually going to take um, advantage of, of cultural Christmas here and something that we're all going to see. We would all admit, probably, that we're going to see the, the wise men all over the place this season if we haven't already. Am I right? You're going to see them like that on a lawn. You're going to see them on a coffee table. You're going to see them on a mantle. You have yours. Sometimes they're wood. Sometimes they're silhouette, right? You're going to see them everywhere. And what I want to happen out of this message is that you see this. We're going to talk about them, and we're going to talk about Christ. But I want you to see that, and I want this to, a single thought to click whenever you see them, is that God is worthy. All right, so you can go ahead and write that down if you're a bulletin filler inner type person. Or even if you're too cool and you don't do it, that's all right too. But that's the point. That is worthy. And we're going to practice it because I, I want this to stick. When you walk out of here and you see it and you say that. So we're going to say it together. You walk in, your grandmas, you see it's on the coffee table. They're wood. They're always in the same place. And you see those three little guys with all their gifts. And the first thing you're going to say is God is all right, now all the cool people are going to say it too. So we got the uncool people who just said it. Now everyone's going to say it. It's okay. And it doesn't matter which service you go to because I make everybody say it. So you just, you can't go to nine o'clock next week and I'm going to get out of the repeat stuff. Nope, we're saying it in all the services. You walk in, you see it on the mantle. Maybe your own mantle when you walk home, uh, when you go home tonight or today and you're going to say God is. All right, now we're going to find out why. We're going to find out why from this story. Here we go, Matthew 2. The visit of the Magi, the wise men. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. 
when Herod, so I'll stop here for a little bit, Herod is the king of the Jews, but he was just kind of called that. He, he like married a Jew. So he, he just got, he has the title, but it doesn't really stick. But he's kind of in charge. So they go to him. When Herod, the king, heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And he assembled all the chief priest scribes of people and he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So he went to his own wise men. And they said, in Bethlehem of Judea, so, for so it is written by the prophet. And the prophet is actually Micah. And they know this. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So they have the answer. It's Bethlehem. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And they sent them on to Bethlehem, saying, Go search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Which was a lie. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Stop right there. The star wasn't always present. In some way, it rose, caught their attention. At some point in the story, it goes away, and then here it comes back. Just food for thought. When, the, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Hey, there's God again. He's leading us. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So three things today. I mean, there are tons, but we're going to look at three things from this story about the worthiness of Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, I'm thankful for this story. I'm thankful for the opportunity to sit under your word and to be taught by it. And, and then to teach it. And I do pray that we've given you, we've, we've given you this moment where, where we want to, we're actually seeking. We're here to learn. We're here to seek. We've, we've carved out this time. So meet us in that and impress upon us your worth. I do pray that, that from this you would go from in our hearts, yeah, yeah, we know. Yeah, yeah, Jesus too. Now he's worth being at the center. So do that in us and I ask it in the, Good and great name of Jesus. And everybody said? Amen. All right, so let's talk about the wise men. There's actually very little we know about them, at least from this particular text. So our story starts in the east, but first in the middle. So down the middle again, here we go. This is, this is going to be the land that God gave Abraham. In this land right here is Jerusalem and Bethlehem. That's where the whole story is going down right here. But our first line says that, some wise men from the east of there saw a star and start heading west. And that literally is all we know about them. Anything else you think you know about them, anything else that you sing about them or whatever attributes you think they may have, all of that came from outside of the Bible. The only thing the Bible tells us is smart guys from the east went west. That's it. So let's try to know them a little bit better. And we can, and we don't have to take great leaps to do it. This is what we can know. At one point in time, the people of God who are here were in the east. Why were, in the, why were they in the east? They got in trouble, remember? So they were, they were sinning, and so God exiled them to the east because they were a mess over here, and he made it painful for them over here until they said they were sorry, and then they got to come back. It's, it's very similar to you and I. Like punishment, you feel the pain. Hey, I'm sorry, you can go back. So they're over here. While they're in the east, there are empires over here, Babylon, Assyria, those. And they do have wise men. That, that's really the advent. That's how we know that there were wise men. Because the kingdoms over here, these guys, they needed some help running their kingdom. So they got like astrologers, astronomers, mathematicians, scientists, historians, priests. Uh, they, were, they were intellectual, elite people. They were learned people. And they helped the king run the kingdom. One of the descriptions of the wise men that I heard was stargazing bookworms, all right? So that's, that's who they were. So they're over here. We know that a Jew that came over became the greatest wise man probably of all time. His name was Daniel. So he has to come. He doesn't want to come over. The rest of the people made some mistakes. He's coming over. But he's a learned man himself. And so they're like, hey, why don't you be part of our elite group? And so he became a wise man, became the probably the greatest wise man ever because God gave him the ability to interpret dreams that the king had and he did it. The king liked it so much. He's like, Dan, 
You run the whole thing. You're number two in charge. The whole east is yours. Run it. And you're the boss of all the wise men. And the wise men weren't upset about it because he saved their lives. Because the, because the king wanted to kill all them because they couldn't come up with a dream. And Dan's like, that's a little much. I don't think we need to. And they're like, Dan, we like you, man. You're all right. So instant popularity. We also know this, that when God did let them go back, not everybody went back. So some of the Jews stayed intermarried and they were just kind of half Persian. All that to say this, these wise men over here had some knowledge of what God might be doing over here in Israel. Sometimes we get this idea that the wise men were like just doing, you know, the stargazing bookworm kind of thing and all of a sudden, bing, there's a star and like we got to go, but we don't even know what we're going to. No, they did. Here, here's the, without reading it in the Bible, here's the best guess that we have about why they started to move. They would have had Daniel. Like Daniel did a, a lot of writing. Did they like Daniel? Well, sure, he was important to them. He's probably the, the greatest of all time. So they had, Daniel did a lot of writing about what? A coming king. I saw one like the son of man. He starts writing all these things. He has these visions and he writes them all down. You don't think they read that? So they probably, hey, there's going to be a coming king over here. I saw one like the son of man. Um, they would have had, because listen, there were Jews living around them, so they would have had access to Old Testament scriptures. So they would have had part of our Bible. They didn't call it the Bible, but they would have had those, right, Old Testament prophets who were always talking about what? You know, it was tough. There's going to come a day. There's a day coming when what? There's going to be a king. So here's one. This is just one of the many, many, many prophecies about a coming king from God. This comes from Numbers. And here's the language it used. So they, they probably would have had access to this. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Out of Israel. Scepter means ruler. So a ruler is going to rise out of Israel over here. And that guy, whoever he's going to be, is somehow connected to language about a star. So, so they had knowledge. And they were paying attention. They must have been paying attention because as soon as God lights up the sky, in whatever the way he does it, they're like moving. They're going in that direction. And nobody else is moving. Something about the little bits of knowledge that they had told them that this God that we're reading about, he's worthy of our attention. And so that becomes the first thing that we learn from them. He's worthy of our attention. Do you know it's a very different thing to have knowledge about something, but pay attention to it? Very different. And I think, let me just jump out for a second, come over here. I think that's our battle. That is the battle at Christmas. The battle at Christmas is not to figure out, okay, who has what? Do we got everybody bought for? Is it fair? You know, because because if not everybody has the same amount, you know, someone's going to burn the house down, right? So you got to make sure it's got all figured out. The, the battle is this. It's to pay attention to what you know. Do you know anything about baby Jesus? Yeah. Does he get any attention? Great question. So let me show you how knowing something is different than paying attention to it. We, and, and all I have to do is go to the next part of our story. There's a different group of people. So these guys have knowledge. They're paying attention to it. It moves them to act. So they move. They're going in this direction. We don't know exactly about the star. They're following the star. Maybe they're not. It, sh it comes up. It disappears. But they find themselves in a place where Israel is, where the king of the Jews would probably be. They go to the capital city which makes sense. They end up going to the city. If you're looking for the newborn king of the Jews, just go, and you can't find him, go to the sitting king of the Jews. He might know. So that's where they go. They go to Herod, and they ask him, where's the newborn king of the Jews? And what does he say? Well, I don't know. I'll ask my wise men. So he goes instantly to the wise men, and what do they say? Without ever looking up, it's instant. They just know it. So picture them I don't want to read too much into this story, but picture them in a back wise men room somewhere, maybe eating a sandwich, playing cards. Someone goes, hey, where's the newborn king of the Jews? And they're like, Bethlehem, it's Micah 5-2, you know. Oh, you Bethlehem, though your little ruler comes. It's like four miles that way. <laughs> to which these wise men have to be going, well then, what are you doing? 
we came all this way. Do you see how, now compare the two. Who has knowledge about him? Which wise men? Jerusalem wise men or Eastern wise men? Who has more knowledge? Jerusalem. What do they do with it? Are they paying? But they're totally unmoved. They're like four miles that way. It's easy. Just turn left. Because having knowledge about something is very different than paying attention to it. That is why reading the Bible like the newspaper, oh, I, read, I read the Bible all the time. Great, but are you paying attention to it? Way, way, way different. Read the Bible in a year. Perfect. What did you do? Nothing. I just read it. Do you know it? Yes, I do. What do you do with it? Nothing. So which group, which group do you most resemble? Because if you pay attention, it moves you to act. But if you don't, it's like, so here's how you will know that you're kind of more like these wise men. Your attitude is this. Yeah, yeah, Jesus, we know. You're actually kind of annoyed by this whole thing because they keep telling you we have to celebrate God. And you're like, we will, man. We'll read, Luke, we'll read Luke 2 before we open presents. Get off our back. Like, we'll do it. Yeah, yeah, Jesus, we know. Can we just get on with this stuff? And do you see how it's, that's, it, it, resemble, it sure resembles these guys more than those. Like, why do we do that? I, I mean, think about it. Like your Christmas gathering, okay? You're there and you're like, you're the Jesus guy. Maybe you're a secret Jesus guy. That's what, there's a lot of them. Right? And you're there and it's like, you know, and as long as someone prays, we covered the God thing. Like, thank you, Lord, for the food. But we, no one ever really talks about it. We just, right? But, but who, what are we fighting for here? Who's to be celebrated at your gathering? Who's to be, who's to be celebrated? Well, God is. But we don't do it. Why is it? Is it, it's got to be a pride thing? Because listen, it's alive in me too. I'm not going to go like, <clears throat> glad you were all here. <laughs> Let's celebrate Jesus now. I mean, like, here we go. It's, it's probably a pride thing or a worth thing. Eh, I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, if that's you and you're annoyed with me for the suggestion that we need to be, you know, s celebrating God. So let's, let's see, maybe what we need to do is pay attention to what we know so well. We know the story of the Advent, right? Baby Jesus, pregnant virgin, rides a donkey, locked out of the inn, you know, the cave, shepherd. Sh we know the story, right? And then on that story, we always sing this song, silent night, right? We sing it. It's so nice. It's, it's happy and baby is sleeping and heavenly peace and it's just perfect. But what if there was a lot more going on? Because I admit that's a little hard to get fired up about. Like it's, he's sleeping in heavenly peace. Let's just not wake him in open presence. <laughs> Right? And I get it. It's hard to get fired up about that. So let's consider what else might be going on at the Nativity. And there's a different version of it in our Bible a little further back in the book of Revelation. Now, what I'm going to tell you, show you, and I heard this preached a long time ago, and I've always wanted to share it, and I think I might have done this already, but I, but I like it. What I'm going to show you is... Lots of people would say, hey, this is definitely a description of the nativity. This is what's going on behind the scene. Um, there are other interpretations too, so to be fair, I have to say that. But this is the description. So we got Silent Night, Holy Night, but then we also have this. This is Revelation 12. Now, this is something that God showed a guy named John, and John wrote it down for us to have. So here's how the description starts. And then I saw a woman who, it says this. There was a woman, a baby, and a dragon. Okay, so already we're off the story. Already we're off of Luke 1. Like, I didn't see a dragon, did you? So stay with me. There's a woman, a baby, and a dragon. And this is Revelation 12, so you can go check this out yourself. And it says, the woman said, I saw a sign in the sky, and the woman was clothed in the sun, the moon was at her feet, and she had a crown of 12 stars, and she's having a baby. The baby is a male child who will be the ruler of all nations and he will rule with an iron scepter. Now the two aren't the only ones there. There's also a dragon. He's red, has seven heads, ten horns, and seven crowns. 
Not sure where the other three horns are. Doesn't say. <laughs> Seven heads. All right, red. Now, here's what's going on. Th- this is in the middle. So it's like there's a. So if you could just take the he- take the little Bethlehem, a little town of Bethlehem, step through to some other realm, something spiritual behind what we can see. This might be going on. And this is what I saw. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore the child, he might devour it. So there's a, potent, there's a war, or at least at the, very, at the very least, an ambush that's going to happen on O Holy Night. What happens is she has the baby, and it says that God swept him away to a place of safety to fight another day. So the war is averted, and then the woman is saved too in some way, and the dragon is left furious because, now, without a doubt, the only one that we have some question about is the woman, who that might be, but without a doubt, who's the baby? Who's the male child that will rule all nations with an iron scepter? That's Jesus. Everybody agrees on that. Who's the dragon? Who does he represent? Says, one like the ancient serpent. Who's the ancient serpent? Think Satan, all right? So he represents hell and all that hell loves. And then this is a baby that got saved away to come to fight another day. Now, a war, does it sound like there's more going on than, okay, there's a lot going on. A war is averted, but at least, at least what this was, was a successful invasion. So I want you to think about an invasion and Hell's not happy, it's here, and here's why. Everything that hell loves, this baby came to push down and push out and crush. And this baby's gonna grow up and crush all that hell loves. Now here's what hell has against us. And you don't think about this every day, but it's real. You will think about it a day, you just don't think about it every day. We have two things we can't beat, and that hell loves those things. The seven-headed dragon that he represents, whoever he represents, that represents, he loves these things, and they are this. And we can't beat them. One is sin and one is death. Now, I get it. You don't, think, you don't get up every day and go like, man, I, I can't beat sin and death. You don't think about it. You think like, sheesh, engine light. Hmm. Okay, can you, get, can you get past the engine light? Yeah. Can you get past sin? Anybody beat it yet? Beat it for four hours on Tuesday. <laughs> Yeah, me too. That was Monday, but, you know, then, (laughs) whatever. Right? Anybody beat it? No. And death. The result of sin, because all sin ultimately is against God. That's our meta-narrative. That's the big story that's going on. Separates us from God. And, And the wages of sin is death. Anybody beat death yet? No. The baby came to beat the big stuff. See, there's little things And then there's the big things. And the baby came to beat the big things. So here's how he beats the first one that you and I can't beat. So just think about it. It's a bully and you're just getting drubbed, drubbed, and you can't. And then all of a sudden, this baby shows up who will grow up and then beat the bully. Right? That's what's happening. So here's how. Here's how he beats sin. Happens at the cross. We've talked about it over and over and over again. We can't get rid of sin. We can't beat it. We keep accumulating it. It's like a disease. So sin is not something you do. It's something that you are. It, it's like you're infected with it. So at the cross, the plan was have this baby grow up, live a perfect life. So in some way, his life beats sin because he, he did beat temptation. And then because he was perfect, he was able to take upon himself all of our sin. That was the plan. And then pay for it. So the cross is the place. It's the taking away of sin for all time. And then the the penalty for it was death, so he's done. Now, here's what that does. If God has taken my sin away at the cross, then the devil can't accuse me or him of what he does. So this is, without the cross, this is what the devil can do. He can come to me and accuse me like God. So God's here, I'm here, and the devil's here. And the devil can say, he's a sinner. You have to give him. If you're perfect and righteous and holy, you have to give him what you've given me. And God has to, which would be hell. Anything other than that would be less than perfect. He wouldn't be a perfect, righteous judge. But what he can say is, well, no, what I did do is, you're right, he's guilty. But I took that guilt and I, and I attached it to him and I killed him. 
So I'm pardoning him, but I'm not sweeping it under the rug. Oh, it's okay. Get over here, you. You, you straighten up now. It's not that. Please, please know that that's not God. I didn't sweep it under the rug. I took care of it. And therefore, I'm able to say you. No, I did deal with it. So I stayed perfect. Sin was paid for, but my choice is to pardon him. I just killed him. And can the devil accuse anymore? No, because it's been paid for. So he beat sin. Not maybe how we would think he would, but that's what he did. But he's dead. All right, so that's the second showdown. So the first showdown is at the cross. The second showdown is in the tomb. Now, how did he beat death? We don't know. We don't have the same description. All we have really is this description about beating death. It's, it's John 10, <laughs> excuse me, John 10, 17 and 18. And it says this, Jesus just said, no one took my life from me. I had the authority to lay it down, but I also have the authority to pick it back up. This command I received from God. So after having paid for it, beat the first enemy's sin, he's laying in the tomb, and then somehow, some way, God commands him, pick your life back up again. And he does, and he comes out. And then we have all these witnesses. So he, he beat it. And when he beats those two, this is what heaven sings. This is the rest of Revelation 12. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. Can he accuse anymore? They can't accuse anymore. And they have conquered him by what? By the blood that took away their sin and the word of their testimony. What beats him? The blood. How does that victory get applied to us? By the word of our testimony. Anybody want to claim that blood? Nine o'clock, everybody went, yeah. <laughs> you guys are like, yeah, sure. Just saying, I don't know. That's how it's hard. There are big things and little things. And the baby came. Who's laying in the manger? Baby death killer. Baby sin killer. That's who's laying there. And those are the things that we can't beat. And when you can get it down to, now let me roll it forward to show you how that can make you exceedingly glad always, even long after we take down the lights. Ready? We're facing surgery this week. Daughter did on Tuesday, and it went well, and she's recovering, but it's difficult. Going into that, she's scared about a lot of things. One of the things is, and this goes down in our kitchen before we leave, that what if my sin has separated me from God? What if somehow, some way, something crazy goes wrong, I die and I go to hell? I'm like, honey, the gospel, how many times you heard the gospel? I told you this, like, I know, but I'm afraid. So I'm like, well listen, if he has something that you want, then ask him. So we have this opportunity to pray before surgery. My wife and I and Emerson, we start praying, and she goes, God, I want what Christ did to cover me. Please apply what he worked to me because I need it. That will make you glad to your dying day as a dad. That is my possession now. And I am able to say, God is good, God is good, God is good. And I'll tell you what, you know, I needed it. Because her heart was so soft for so long, and then I saw it close down, and it was a burden. But do you know, do you know no matter how hard your heart is, God can soften it? in any way he chooses. That's my possession now. See, I have that. And I'm able to say, like, I was thinking about it up to, we were doing the run through this morning and I was thinking about it, I was just walking around like, God is good, God is good, God is good. And you can take down the lights and put away the wise men and all that and I'm still saying God is good. And if that's who's laying in the manger, that guy, I don't care what you think, I'm clearing the room going, <clears throat> we're gonna celebrate Jesus now because he's a sin killer. 
And I can, if it's legit in your life, is that worth something to me? It's worth everything. See, that's paying attention to what you know so well. And then here's the, here's how it rolls in on the other big one. This has to do with death. I know a, a dear lady who is facing the second Christmas now. She lost her husband two ago. So this is the second Christmas. There's going to be an empty chair at the table and it hurts. But the guy that used to sit in that chair, do you know what the word of his testimony was? I claim the blood. I'm nothing. He's everything. I can't do this. So now, instead of looking at the empty chair going, oh, it's it's this. Now, is it difficult? Absolutely. But they can also, this is what she can also say. She's actually the one that wrote me one of her. She wrote a she wrote a song last week, like, when I challenge you, hey, write your own. So she did and sent it to me, which is a little odd because I was thinking about her and then this showed up in the mail. I don't know. So she says this, in the midst of your majesty, you love me, a little speck in the sea. So hers rhymed, mine didn't. You didn't have to rhyme yours, hers just did. I matter in perfect bungling me. You teach all the way to the wrinkles and beyond. You forgive even though undeserved and when trouble comes you wrap your arms around a crumpled heap and bring comfort and strength so much so that blessings overflow to all those around you in the crumpled heap what is she talking about if you know anything about her story what is she singing about when when was God the best to her when she was that crumpled heap when she lost him and she didn't see it coming and now what's she able to do instead of going like what instead of saying there's the empty chair she can say, God is good because the word of his testimony was, I want the death killer and Christ killed death for him too and will for me. It changes everything. The big stuff. He came to take away the big stuff. Is he worthy? Who's laying there? I love this description. When the baby showed up, the death of death was sealed. I like that. Now that, if he's at the center, it will change the way you celebrate. It won't be, yeah, yeah, Jesus. Because it'll be real to you and alive to you. What is your attention on? Get underneath what has your attention. I saved $70 on a ladder. Great. What if you fall off? That, like, <laughs> let's go the next. Great. 70 bucks. Wow. Okay. But can my daughter, can anything separate my daughter from the love of God in Christ? $70 ladder savings? That. What will make you glad forever? Get underneath of all the stuff that has your attention. Get beyond knowledge. We all have knowledge to paying attention to it. Pay attention. Who's laying there? And just like these wise men, to pay attention, it, it leads to action. It, it, will, it will turn into celebration. So he's worthy of our attention. Yes? Is he worthy of our attention? All right. Two, he's worthy of, and I know you're freaking out. We got like 15 minutes left. And you're like, he took too long. He got emotional. He started talking about his daughter. We're going to go over. I know. I did. We'll be fine. I'll get there. I promise. Two. Worthy of our pursuit. I would even say on this one, he's worthy of your faith. He's worthy of your trust. Let me turn it around. Your faith will be worth it. Your trust, like if you're on a faith journey, if you're someone who's claimed Christ and you're in the midst of it, it will in the end be worth it. Because what do we have in our story? Who do they find at the end? They started off, they were sure, might have been difficult in the middle, but who do they see? What's the end? And they found him. The star showed back up and they have him. Let's read it. And behold, the star that they had seen. So they're in Jerusalem, right? But now they're going the rest of the way. The star shows back up and they take off. The star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When, the, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going to the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell, fell down and worshiped him and opening their treasures, they gave. Listen, what they thought they were going to find, they found. Which, here's a little snippet. Here's what God is saying. This tiny little story. One of the things, what I start with you, I'll finish. 
What I say you're walking to, you're walking to. If I put it in here and I give you a little light and I got you moving, that's exactly what you hoped for is what you will find. I need that. Because, the, because we're all somewhere in the middle, right? We're all somewhere in between when we got started and what we're headed towards and it gets difficult. And we need to know how it's going to end. This is a little snippet, how it's going to end. What you thought you were walking to, you really were. They found him. They didn't just keep walking. And you know it had to be difficult. This was probably for them about 800 miles-ish. I mean, this is all guessing. We don't know, but I'm just... 800 miles, a couple of months. Do you think it was difficult in the middle without reading too much into it? I mean, what is it like? So they had knowledge. They got little bits of information. They're feeling good about it. They're sure. He lights up the sky. He gives them just enough to get moving. Who always gives us just enough to get moving? God always gets the credit for that. So they're paying attention. And in the beginning, they're all fired up. Newborn king. This is going to be awesome. Are you fired up about any new adventure you have? You're like, this is going to be great. And then 30 days into it, you're not there yet. And you're thinking what? Is this worth it? (laughs) Right? Haven't seen the star in a while. This is a lot of gold. What was I thinking? I mean, even if they weren't saying it, maybe thinking it, looking over at the guy, like, Craig, are you sure about this? If I was a wise man, I'd take Craig. (laughs) It would be like me, Craig, and Pierre. (laughs) You would have to call us the wise man (laughs) and his compatriots. Doesn't see very well, but I would still take him. I'd leave. Like, is the star still there? Yes, let's go. <laughs> In all seriousness, I would, on my spiritual journey, I will always take Craig. Always. It had to be difficult. Like, are you sure about this? What did your wife say when you took all the myrrh? It's a lot of myrrh. <laughs> no worries, it went towards her essential oil sales. <laughs> Push her into platinum. <laughs> Rising star team bonus when we get back. So we gotta, gotta get there and get back. Spend that money. I don't know. Inevitably, it was difficult. But what do we have? What, what does it say? We don't have the depth of that. All we know is there was some coming and going and there was some distance and difficulty. But in the end... That was it. That was it. They were going to the king, and the king really was there. Listen, I'm going, I don't know about you, but God started it in me. I had little bits of information, just fragments. Did I know everything in the depth of the gospel when I got started? No. Here's what I knew. Heaven and hell, I want to go to heaven. That's literally what I knew, and I was in church my whole life. But I knew I wanted heaven, and then God gave me just enough to get going. It was a, uh, think about Stars, if you will, in lots of different ways. God always gets us going just enough. Mine was a conference, I suppose. It was really bad, but it didn't matter. I got going. And your star can be all kinds of things. What got you started? You had little bits of knowledge, but he got you started on your journey. What was it? Could be jail. Lots of, I know lots of people got, <laughs> got their journey started in jail. Or pain, or maybe an upcoming surgery, or whatever. It's all kinds of things. So you get going in the beginning, you're sure, but then in the middle, you get stuck. Now, make no mistake about it. On my journey, I'm going, and I'm down the road a ways. I'm absolutely going to Jesus. That's who I'm going to. And I know that sounds silly, but who else am I going to if I'm not going to that? That's what I'm hoping to find. That's the promise. I'm sure not going to Orville. Now, do I think that Orville's with Jesus? What? I hope. But please know you're not going to a relative. Who, if you're on a faith journey, where are you headed? To a king. And that's what I'm hoping is there. And that's what I'm told is there. But in the middle of it, it feels like, it really does feel like, you know, where's the star? Like, I really do need in mind, like, I need it blazing all the time right in front of me so I can just know for sure. But the problem is it's not. And you get stuck. I know you get stuck. We had a, a, our men's Bible study the other night. I've always wanted to be in a men's Bible study that I really, really liked, and I'm in one right now. I think it's because I'm not leading it. I don't have to talk so much, although I still talk a lot, I think, but nevertheless, it's not the pressure of... Anyway, I like it. 
in our study, we were talking about this very thing. It really was. It was like this, as I, as I thought about it later. It's like a, everybody in that room is on their faith journey. We're all coming in. We happen to be reading Romans 5. And Romans 5 says, you have hope because by faith, you're standing in grace. You have access to grace. And every single one of us in that room would say grace. That's the only thing that will change your heart. Do you know that? God's undeserved favor. And when you get his undeserved favor, it really will change it. And you do have hope. But it also says, if you keep reading, so we rejoice in that, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because sufferings lead to perseverance. Perseverance will build your character, and character leads to hope. And we were mixed on that one. I'm not saying it was wrong, but sometimes it feels like the sufferings, they don't produce hope. Sometimes it just feels like the sufferings snuff it out, and you want to kind of stop. Listen, for me, I know where I'm headed, and I know what it is. I, I know what I hope it is. But in the middle, you might just have to get used to no. Like, it's always no. And it might be no the whole time. You're asking, and you're wanting, and you're hoping, and it's no. And it's no, and it's no. And it, maybe it will be no the whole way. I hope not. But even if it is, this little glimpse, this little glimmer says, what you hope for, even if this part's not great, even what you hope for is going to be what I started, I will finish. So if you're stuck, be encouraged. Don't quit. I'm talking to me too. Are you stuck? Haven't seen the star in a while? I don't know about the king. And I'm not saying you don't believe, but it's just you're there. Some people do. There's actually descriptions in, like, don't quit because what he started, he will finish. There's descriptions of people that do in the word. The one I think about is Job's wife. Job is a guy that was on the way, doing okay, blessed by God, all that. It was good. And then everything fell apart, lost his family and everything. And his wife stands back and looks at it and says, forget this, I'm out. And Job's like, no, I'm going to stick in there, you know. And she says, you're an idiot. Curse God and die. Forget it. This is not worth it. And he says something interesting. I would, but... Everything else I would go to other than where I'm going is like a spider web, which I, I don't know that I've found that description any other place in the word. It's like a spider web, which means this. It looks like something that's there, but when you go to try to grab a hold of it, it's not. Anything you go to other than this, don't quit, because anything you go to other than that, what are you going to go to? I mean, what, what are you going to pursue if you're not pursuing that? Like, I'm going to, there's nothing. And you might think it's something, but I promise you, once you turn back and try to go, it won't be there. So don't quit. Because this little story says, God, what he started, he will finish. And the last one is worship. When they get there, um, they, they do a couple of things. And going into the house, this is verse 11, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. So he's worthy of our worship. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So the worship is of two things. We'll go over this and we'll wrap it. So the, the worship is of their person, but also their possessions. And, and, and worship of God is a combination too. So the first thing they do is, is they put themselves lower than Christ, which I think probably had to be a bit of a surprise. They come in, it's the newborn king of the Jews. It's not exactly like it was a big throne with a ruler on it going, we're going to wipe out the nations. It was like, hey, Jesus, <laughs> how are you? But they still... The first thing they do is they put themselves lower than Christ. And by their action, they're saying, Christ, you're here and I'm here, which is worship. You live in such a way that he's exalted in your life. You surrender yourself first. I, I like what uh, J John MacArthur said. 
You can never surrender your stuff to God without first surrendering yourself. God will never get your things in terms of worship until he gets all of you. And so they do that. Christ, you're here. And that is the best way to go. The best people I know are people that have surrendered themselves to a higher, greater good. And the higher, greater good is God who sent Christ. Is God good? He's good. So you surrender to that. You're here. I'm here. I'm going to do it how you say because it changes the way you are. I'm a better dad if I've already surrendered my life to something, because if I haven't surrendered it, then the only thing I have to worship is me and all my selfishness. And anyone who doesn't have a higher good they submit to, the only thing they have is themselves and all what they want, and you don't want to be around that. I'm a better dad because of this. It changes the way I go about it. It changes the way I dealt with fights this week. Two fights this week over the very similar on two days, one over between my sons, one on the bus, one in the kitchen, one over gum, one over crackers. Same thing. The little one takes the gum from the big one on the bus, holds him up against the wall, nearly snuffing out his life. Little one gets under the seat and gets away. We discuss it. Next day, they don't know I'm home. Same thing happens. It's over crackers. Big one has crackers. There's five left. Little one takes one. He is snuffing out his life on the kitchen floor with, and I catch them. Now, if I don't have, if I've not submitted to a greater good, I just take their heads and I <laughs> make them into one tiny head. <laughs> but I don't because there's a greater good. Listen, what am I about? I'm headed to the king and I want them to head to the king too. I'm trying to raise sons that honor God. And so they've got to see it in me and it's a better way to go. It's a better way to go. Marriages that have submitted to a greater good underneath it, they'll go. Otherwise, if you don't have something greater, then the only thing you have are the selfish interests of two people, and that's a terrible marriage. It won't go. There has to be that. If you never learn to submit to something greater good like God, you'll never, ever put anyone else first because they're somewhere way south of what God is and what he's done. So the first thing is exalt they worship with themselves to live that way. And the second then, once that's done, then they open up their hands like, okay, here, here you go. Here's all the stuff. And so they worship him with their possessions, which is part of it too. You, he gets you and then he gets your stuff. But it's, it's what he gave you anyway and you just return it back to him. You're, you're, you have a very open-handed posture with your, with your things. Now, how do we worship with our possessions? And this is probably the most practical way. I keep telling you, we got to celebrate God. we got to celebrate God. And you're walking out like, how do I do that? Do I sing a song? What am I supposed to do? This is a perfect way. You can celebrate God with the way in which you handle your possessions this Christmas. You can essentially worship him in a lot of ways. So I'll do it this, this way. We all have choices. All of our families, we all have choices. I'm going to put a couple of choices up here. On, and then you tell me between the two choices that have to do with your treasure, your possessions, which one would be the worship of King Jesus? Here you go. Here's the gold. Or and which one, which one would not? So here's the first one. This is a choice that a family would have to make. So you have an Xbox One, $329. Not, that's the lowest package. There are other packages with their $500, but they include... The new Star Wars game, which, by the way, is the conspiracy. Because the new Star Wars game does not play on the Xbox 360, and it's almost like they knew that. So you got to buy the Xbox One, to get, nevertheless. 329 Or, out of the blue, family friend calls something you didn't see coming, and like, hey, we're stuck. We need help. Okay, you can't do both because everyone wants to answer both. Uh, both. Nope, can't. You only have, you can only do one. Which one would be, here's the gold, Jesus. And which one would not be? Go ahead, shout it out. All right, very good. Now, just because you get an A on your worship test doesn't mean you've passed. Like, yeah, I got three for three. <laughs> no, the, the test is out there. Just, this is, I'm setting you up for the test. You pass it out there. All right, two. Okay, Poulin chainsaw, 20 inch, has the, has the grip bar, has the spike bar built in already that allows you to jab in and then rock down. Yellow, beautiful machine, 199 without the case. 
or <laughs> just feels good in your hands. <laughs> Even though you have an 18 at home, <laughs> but no spike bar. Or B, find out there's an eight-year-old at Riley waiting for a heart transplant whose mom can't be there very often because she has to work. And so he finds himself alone a lot, very sad. He's been there for four months waiting, hoping to get a heart, but he's kind of stuck there. And we could sponsor that and kind of change his Christmas a little bit. Which one would be like, here's the goal, Jesus? Okay, we're doing good. I hope there's, we cannot, they, it's not all B, all right? Last one. Family, income, 57,000. They've already given 3,600 so a tithe on that 57 would be 5,700. They've already given to the church they love 3,600, but that leaves them 2,100 short on their tithe goal for the year going in to a church they love and has been good to them and served them and has made a difference in their life and the lives of their community. The church is also $50,000 going into their final run of the year. So they got that, but <laughs> spring break is coming. And if you buy, if you put the deposit down now, you can get this great place, but you have to do it now, otherwise it will cost you more later. So it's 750, 2100. Which one is, here you go, Jesus, here's the gold. All right. You guys are really good at this in here. So the idea would be, the idea would be you would listen to this whole deal and you're like, Jesus is worthy. And then it would actually happen out there. Side point, straight talk, Life Church is $50,000 short going into our final couple of weeks. And if you are a little bit short on the ties, you're like, can I go back on that one? <laughs> What's that verse about Jesus said he loves a joyful giver? It's A, only if you can do it happily. If you can't, you're out. <laughs> well, there's other verses about that too, but if you're if this is your church and you've loved it and you serve here and it's it and, and you haven't done that, that is a way in which you can lay it. Say, here's Jesus, here's the goal. Absolutely. And please do. All right. You're going to see these guys all over the place. And now you know, so we covered at least three. Now you know, so when you see it, the first thing that's going to pop in your head is he is for all the reasons we talked about here today. Amen. Lord, thanks for your word. Thanks for the story. Thanks for the wise men. Um, may you move from the background of Christmas, yeah, yeah, Jesus, to the center because you are worthy. And we ask you to do that in our lives, and we ask it in the good and great name of Jesus. And everybody said,